five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Podcast on the internet. All right, that was uh, Phil Lenat in, <clears throat> excuse me, Thin Lizzy. With the uh, the boys are back in town again. We got a, it's kind of a Jim Steranko theme today. If you're into uh, comics, you'll know who Jim Steranko is, or more importantly, probably was in terms of his output of work. A great comic book artist. The the uh, cover for uh, Jailbreak. By Thin Lizzy was uh, inked by Jim Steranko. And um, we have a Jim Steranko background here with Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And speaking of hero, look who's here. It's our resident astrological cat hero, Jasper. You can see right here, like, well, welcome to the show. It's 15 Minutes of Flame. And if you're listening on the podcast, uh, welcome to the show. And I'm actually showing the background here, the green screen. But you can see where Storenko really gets the star fort of the Statue of Liberty. Looking out into the uh, cityscape of New York, sans the Twin Towers. I believe this was actually inked before the Twin Towers if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Nick Fury, of course, being the great American that he is, fighting evil, fighting the evil Hydra, and keeping the Earth safe from its planetary takeover by the reptilian species who uses humans as their henchmen. Kind of a theme today in some ways. Maybe, maybe we'll get into that. But we're definitely going to get into heroes and zeros because yesterday there was a hero and there was a zero. And the hero of the day, the hero of the week, the hero of the month, maybe the hero of 2022 is John Stockton. And I'm going to play a little excerpt from John Stockton's appearance on uh, Jason Whitlock's show, Fearless from last night. He did about a 43-minute segment with John Stockton and John Stockton happens to be one of the greatest NBA players of all time. He never won an NBA championship. He never won an MVP award, but he is considered to be one of the greatest point guards that's ever played the game. So when you talk about the position of point guard, there are about five names that come up. Um, always near the top is Magic Johnson. He's o- almost always near the top. Steph Curry now. I actually think Steph Curry is better than Magic Johnson. I think Magic is one of those players. Here, talk a little sports now. Magic is one of those players who changed 
the NBA. Like I, I, how I would define greatness would be if a player changes the sport that they're playing in. And there had never been a six foot nine point guard like Magic Johnson who could see the court, could dribble, could pass, um, and could probably play five positions. And there was a time in a playoff game where I think Kareem fouled out or something happened with Kareem. He wasn't able to play. Maybe it was because um, he was injured or something. Anyway, Magic played center that whole game, and they won that game. And he even did a sky hook impersonation of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he, he sunk that bucket. So Magic changed the game. There was never physically, there was no other player like Magic at that position. Steph Curry is a whole, a whole other level because he changes the game by extending his ability to shoot the ball and hit, hit three point shots from 30, 35 feet away from the basket, which changes everything. And he, Steph Curry is a game changing player. Anyway, I don't want to bore you with sports details. But it's usually uh, Johnson, Curry Johnson, Isaiah Thomas is often talked about in that great kind of point guard tradition. And then there's John Stockton. And Stockton is always mentioned in like, the top four or five point guards. He had a very long career uh, and a very successful career. He was part of the original dream team, which um, went to the Olympics and, of course, smashed uh, every other team that they played against. Went to Gonzaga University. He's a Catholic. Went to a Jesuit school. Please don't hold that against him. Uh, and he showed up on Jason Whitlock. And I'm going to play some excerpts from that show, which will demonstrate how much of a hero John Stockton is. He is the most high-profile person I've seen over the past two years who has come out and said what needs to be said about COVID, the vaccines, the masks, you name it. He pulled no punches. Um, and the reason why Jason had him on the show is, well, Jason's a sports guy, obviously. But John Stockton got kicked out of watching the Gonzaga basketball team play because uh, Washington State is a, a, a fascist regime, uh, which is run by a fascist dictator, Jay Inslee, and they have this mandate still in place. Like you can't do certain things. You can't go to certain places. And Gonzaga, which is in uh, Spokane, Washington, not even Seattle or Bellingham or Olympia, which you probably would consider to be sort of more liberal hotspots. It's, you know, it's on the border of Idaho and Spokane and uh, Gonzaga said to John Stockton, you've got to wear a mask while you watch the team play. And John Stockton said, no, I'm not going to wear a mask. First of all, I can't breathe. He, you know, I, how many times did I wear a mask when the whole mask thing was, was on? Uh, not, not many. Not many, honestly. But when I did have to wear one, for whatever reason, I can't even remember why I had to wear one. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I went to a gun show in San Antonio. 
and had to wear one. So, and I was just there observing people, obviously. That's all I was doing. It was just, I was just observing. It was one of those days, Sunday, go observe the human condition, but I had to wear a mask. That was hard. It was, it was difficult to, uh, to do. Uh, the breathing was challenging for everybody that's ever had to wear a mask. I, you know, I, I feel for you. It's fucked. It's unhealthy. That's about the only time I think I remember really having to wear one for an extended period of time. Now, when I flew, the flying part was was uh, interesting because I I decided that I was going to kind of outfox the uh, the airlines. So I I bought this mask. I had this filter on it. It was pumping. It would pump oxygen into my mask. Like I would get fresh air into my mask, filtered fresh air. And it had a hole in the side. You put a tube on it. So the, the airlines, but they don't let you do that though, which is, I think it's fucking ridiculous. Cause what if you had asthma or something like that you needed to have, or you had a breathing condition, you needed something like that. No, sorry. You can't use technology. Not allowed. So, I had a, so this thing, this mask has a hole in the side and then you, you put this tube in the hole and then you're able to breathe this fresh oxygen, which I thought was a great idea. So what I did is I took the, always took the seat nearest the window, the window seat. And I put that mask with the big hole in the side, like over here on this side. So when I put my head against the window, and either slept or was just trying to not deal with the whole bath. I, they couldn't see the hole. So I was breathing fresh air, whatever kind of air they have in a plane the whole time. So Stockton, John Stockton said that he, he will not wear a mask. And he has season tickets to Gonzaga. That's his alma mater. That's where he went to school. He actually was, I would say, almost single-handedly responsible for taking Gonzaga into this stratosphere where they became a collegiate basketball power. And I think they're the number one ranked team in the country. I don't think they've won the NC2A finals. Um, that could change this year. So he decided that he wasn't going to wear the mask also because of the kids on the team and the people in the stands. And like he he's, was making a stand against the mask. I don't blame him. So they said, well, you either have to wear a mask or you can't come to the game. Remember now, this is a famous alumni, okay? And an alumni who probably donated money to their team, to their school. I would have, I have no doubt that he donated money to because like that's what that's what alumni do, right? They're wealthy. He, John Stockton's wealthy. Made a lot of money playing pro basketball. I don't know about endorsements. He's not Mr. Personality, but he is Mr. Character. That's what counts. So um, they said, "Well, you can't go." And he said, "Okay, I'm not coming." So he sacrificed his relationship 
with the school and the program. He doesn't, he doesn't have any ill will or hard feelings towards them. He's just like, it's best that we, you know, part ways here because I can't abide by this. So we're going to I'm going to play some of that interview. I just wanted to, some of you may not be familiar with John Stockton, but he, again, he's the most high profile person that I've run across who came out strongly against what people have been experiencing. So we're going to get into him and that interview and also Katanji Brown Jackson. And I found out some very interesting information about her last night as I was going through the internet. And uh, some of you may know that because uh, some of you follow me on Twitter, but she, she's married to this uh, gastrointestinal surgeon. His name is Patrick Jackson. And that's one of those names that could, you know, you look at it and go, well, it could either be, that could be a white name or that could be a black name, right? Patrick Jackson. Am I right? I mean, if you heard Patrick Jackson and I showed you an image of a uh, brother, black guy, right? You would say, oh, yeah, well, that kind of fits. Uh, but if I said, um, you know, Shlomo Lipschitz and I showed you the same picture, that wouldn't fit. So, I went and I looked at the guy. I thought, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. So um, he's not a brother. He's not a black guy. So she, she married, she married a white dude. Hey, look, love wins, right? Okay. So what's interesting about him though, is he's connected to this whole peerage called the Boston Brahmins. And I'm going to talk about them today. And one of the interesting connections between Patrick Jackson and one of his ancestors, very influential ancestor, generally considered to be like one of the great legal minds in American history, which makes Tanji Brown Jackson not related to him by blood, maybe by semen, but not blood. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to, I'm, I'm going to play the absolutely ridiculous exchange with her at the uh, hearing yesterday for her approval. She'll be approved. You just, just rubber stamp that thing. There's no way that they can not approve her, especially with, um, I think, isn't there a majority in the Senate or doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't Harris have the tie-breaking vote or something like that? There's no way she doesn't get approved. If she doesn't get approved, it'll, it'll be, I don't know. Maybe it marks the return of Christ or something, because that would be almost unbelievable at this point, given the political nature of our country and how a minority, and I'm talking about an ideological minority, not a racial minority, but an ideological minority can run the table and determine uh, what the social program or what the uh, social sociopolitical evolution of the country is going to look like. And they clearly have. So I'd be very surprised if she wasn't approved to be the next Supreme Court 
justice. And I, I don't know if she's a nice person or not. I can't. She's a Virgo. And I think she was a virgin when she got married. That's what I think. I think she was a, so she's a Virgo virgin. That's not a bad, uh, maybe they should ask her that. Maybe that should be a question. Who could ask that question? Ted Cruz is done, right? Maybe Rand Paul could ask that question. Judge Brown Katanji, uh, Judge Brown Jackson, it says here on your birth certificate that you're a, you're born in September. That makes you a Virgo. Am I right? Yes, that's true. So if you're a Virgo, does that mean that you're a, were you a virgin when you met and married Patrick Jackson? Nobody ever answered. It's not even relevant to the process. But the question she was asked yesterday was very relevant and very telling and unfortunately moronic. And she's a zero. She's a zero. Now, she has some bona fides. She went to um, Harvard, and that's where she met Patrick Jackson. So she was on the uh, Harvard Law Review, but that's not saying much because Barack Obama was as well. And he never wrote a fucking article. He was the editor of the Harvard Law Review. He never wrote an article. Katanji uh, Brown Jackson's KBJ, almost like KBG. She has never written a position paper or anything that gives anyone a sense of what her judicial philosophy is. It's not there, which is par for the course. I mean, Obama was a blank slate. The less they know, the better. But then you contrast her against somebody like Robert Bork, who wrote seven books, and we're talking major heavyweight books, and was a an absolute uh, genius when it came to the law. He he lived the law. He thought about the you know it's one of those guys. He was consumed by this idea of law, and whether you liked him or not, or appreciated his positions, and some of his positions were very polarizing. Like he didn't believe in the Civil Rights Act. No, he believed in civil rights, but not the way that the bill was written and how it was passed. He didn't believe it, it was, it, he thought it was emotional trash. That didn't mean that he wasn't for civil rights. So Bork had some very polarizing opinions, which is why he was never approved of. Who, who got in? Was it Thomas? Was it Clarence Thomas? I think Clarence Thomas might, or Thomas was, um, when did Thomas come in? Was that Clinton? I think Thomas came in when, I think Thomas was the Bork replacement, if I'm not mistaken. He's been around that long. Um, but Bork w was a great legal mind. And as we move further away from this idea of scholasticism and, uh, you know, true intellectual brilliance. And by the way, true intellectual brilliance isn't everything. Because 
Fred Kagan and the neocons are probably really fucking smart. You, you could sit down and have a very intelligent conversation with them about an, any number of things. So that proves that intelligence isn't everything. You got to have a heart to go along with your brain. If you don't have the two, you're screwed. Isn't that what the whole uh, Wizard of Oz crew is about? You needed the heart, right? You needed the heart and you, you needed the brain. So uh, the heart was the cowardly lion. Am I right? And wasn't the brain uh, the scarecrow? Didn't the scarecrow need a brain? And what was the Tin Woodsman? Tin Woodsman is a trip, right? The Tin Woodsman is like AI. He's a robot. The Tin Woodsman's a fucking robot. So if we were to get into that, what would be the astrological... Kind of, well, the, the cowardly lion's Leo. I would say the Tin Woodsman might be Aquarius. Uh, that would mean that the Scarecrow, the Scarecrow would be Taurus. And little Dorothy would be Scorpio. Which is true. Because she goes through a transformation at the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. So we can make a case for that astrologically. By the way, astrologically wise, I will be uh, hanging out with David Palmer on Friday on YouTube. And that's going to be at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I'll put that on, uh, on Twitter. That'll be fun. David and I, the last show we did, I think that was back at my, I was back at my place on South Creek in Fredericksburg. To this day, people are still talking about that show that we did. And I hope we can get close to that on Friday. I love being on, uh, in, the, in the same virtual space as David, because I think he's, he's brilliant. I got to get, get plenty of sleep before I do that show. Because I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta keep up with David. He's, David's a really good astrologer, by the way. He knows his shit. So I'll be on uh, YouTube with David on Friday. Okay, let's, uh, let's get into uh, the Chatlandia space. And let's see how you guys are doing. And then we're going to get into some of this material here today. He was the tin man, the tin woodsman, right? Okay, let's start at the top here. Uh, we got uh, my man, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, Tom? There's the queen, Queen Lisa. JMP Love. I haven't been able to chat, but I'm here in spirit. Well, we're glad to have you here. Good to see you, Jacqueline. There's my man, Ryan. Wendy says, I love it. She always says hello, beautiful people. Don't forget Leon. Can you help a brother out? Leon is doing extremely well. Thank you for everybody that's helped him out on his fundraiser. You guys are awesome. Uh, let's see who else do we have here. Look at that. Tom just gave Wendy a big hug. I love that. Um, Tondar. I have a big request of the wonderful people of Chattara today. What is it? What do you got? Sony's here. Let's see that request. 
someday a real rain will come and wash all the scum off the streets. Oh, boy. Hoping for that. What's going on, Fran? My daughter, Rachel, has been moved to hospice. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. All right. By the way, I love that name, Rachel. It was always one of my favorite names. If I was going to have a daughter, I was going to name her Rachel. True story. True story. Because when you have the name is itself is like pretty mind-blowing. You have raw at the beginning, right? Raw, the sun. Then you have the ch, the ch, which is the Christ. And then you have the L, which is light, right? That's a very powerful name. Okay, well, uh, well, prayers to her. I don't know what's happening there, Wendy. Hospice is never uh, a good sign. So we hope that everybody um, can be with her in spirit and strength and uh, recognize that it's a passage that we're all on. It's a journey we're all on. And uh, we're all we're all in it together, believe it or not. It's true. You guys are great. That's so hard. Oh boy. Okay. When, uh, when life, life comes pouring through K and S Steve and Chris are here. Uh, we light a candle on our altar for Rachel right now. Beautiful. Thank you. The doctors have given up on her, but she is strong and still fighting to live. I just, I can't, I just can't, uh, I can't imagine what it'd be like to lose a child. That's just hard. Very hard. Okay. Keep us posted, Wendy. Kelly B. What's going on, Kelly? Hucklebuck 411. Yeah, Jailbreak is a masterpiece record. I, you know, I didn't realize how much of a junkie Phil Lenat was. He was a huge fucking horse head. My God, that band was a mess. It was a mess. I started talking about horse and Jasper Leaves. That band was a total mess. They couldn't keep it together. Influence Prince. Yeah, I think there's a lineage there from Hendrix to Lenat to Prince. And his story, Phil Lenat's story with his mother is really weird. It's like so weird. Like he's got, he's got siblings, and he found out later in his life, his mother was a, his mother was a bit of a scamp. I would say she went black, but never went back. But she did. She married somebody who wasn't, because she started to have affairs with these soldiers, these American soldiers, and that's kind of how I think that's how Phil was born. Actually, I think his father might have been an American, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, weird story. And then Phil's got all these other kids too. He's got the two kids from his marriage, but there are two other kids born out of wedlock, a daughter and another son. I think he has a son who's in his fifties. I think he's a sculptor. 
it's, it's, it's strange how Phil and his mother kind of like kind of did the same thing. Anyway, um, let's see who else has Stockton was great, smart, tough defender. Nobody will ever catch him for the assist title. Stockton was great. Dr. J changed the game. He did change the game because he played so high above the rim. Now there were other guys that, that could jump. There was Zelmo Beatty, Joe Caldwell, Spencer Haywood, but what made Dr. J so great was his hang time. Like those other guys could jump, but they didn't have the hang time that Dr. J had. David Thompson did. In fact, maybe more hang time than Dr. J. And Dr. J could shoot. His best years were in the ABA. He was good when he was in the NBA and the Sixers won a title. I wouldn't say... Well, what's interesting is that you would think that Michael Jordan changed the game, and in some ways he did. And who did Michael Jordan look up to? He looked up to David Thompson, not Dr. J. I would say maybe David Thompson might have changed the game a bit more than Dr. J, although J is very influential. For me, the players that change basketball are Bob Cousy because he is so skilled with the basketball and – a great assist man he, and dribbling George Mikan, because he's the first big man that can actually do something. Um, I would say Wilt Chamberlain more than Bill Russell will, will change basketball. And then you have to go to, I think maybe Jabbar because Jabbar just does things that big men can't do. Um, then you get into magic. I think magic is a game changer. Jordan is kind of a game changer in his own way because he's a guy that's six, four, but can essentially play four positions. Uh, maybe bird to some extent. Steph Curry, Steph Curry is a game changer. And I think Steph Curry has changed the game of basketball for the worse. Okay, here we go. Um, there's never been a classier team than the Spurs team, Spurs and Stockton's time. I hope you're not talking about the Greg Popovich Spurs. I can't fucking stand Greg Popovich. When Dr. J was with the Nets, he was revolutionary. Bill Russell is the greatest NBA player in modern times. We're getting into sports now. Dudes are talking sports. Uh, I would disagree with you a little bit, Robin. But we're not going to get into the now. If we ever uh, connect, we'll talk about that. Dr. J, great. Dr. J was a Pisces. A lot of really great basketball players are Pisces. Steph Curry is a Pisces. I wouldn't call Draymond Green great. He's very good. He's a Pisces. Charles Barkley's a Pisces. Shaquille O'Neal's a Pisces. Kenny Smith. All those guys are Pisces on the TNT show. They're all Pisces. There's some great Pisces basketball players. I don't know. I, I guess it's the flow thing. It could be the flow thing. Stockton's an Aries. Um, let's see. Dr. J was cool. He, Dr. J had... 
you know, he had a lot of uh, struggles, man. He had a lot of challenges. And he was, he's got a good spirit. I like Dr. J. I've always liked him. David Hawk, what's going on, David? You're all the walrus. Robert had to stockpile his munitions. <laughs> um, that was just that one, that was just that one show, Ryan. Everything else was, is in San Antonio. San Antonio was the, it was, it was mask tardia. Uh, they make you use their made in China mask, which is totally clean and sterile for sure. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jay is a longtime communitarian clown. Which Jay are we talking about? Dr. Jay? Anyone watching Katanji? She does. I know we're going to talk about that today. Oh, Jay Inslee. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Yes, he is. Hi, Squirrel. How are you? It's springtime. We're going to get Squirrel on the Friday show soon to talk about biochar. Let's see. Kelly's got the windows open. The birds are chirping. Okay, who else do we have here? Anybody present accounted for? Yeah, that's weird about Thomas, right? I don't know what the story is. Trump should have nominated a black woman. I don't think it was his call. Lindsey Graham has to be a virgin. He's Christian and unmarried. That's pretty funny. He's a dirty virgin. So Hillary got the COVID, Klaus Schwab got the COVID, um, Jen Psaki got the COVID, Obama got the COVID. Who else am I leaving out? Mickey Mouse got the COVID. The Tin Woodsman got the COVID. Ron Jeremy got the COVID. There's a song in there somewhere. What's going on, Timothy? How are you? It's all about the Benjamins. He was sporting Mr. Franklin on his socks. Well, we're going to get into that. Zodiac, birth chart, and sky chart, Katanji Brown Jackson. Virgo. Let's see. Lindsay has both doors open. Oh, that's funny. Heart was the Tin Man. Thank you. Lion was Courage. Scarecrow Mind. Thank you. You are the walrus. Appreciate that. Heart was Tin Man. Lion was Courage. And Scarecrow, the, the Scarecrow needed a brain. Right. That's the formula. That is the formula for the integrated being. Heart mind and courage where does courage come from does it come from the heart or does it come from another place does it come from the gut it might courage for the lion which was weird since they're generally brave folks jasper you're kind of a lion but you're a pussy he's a big pussy 
I was a flying monkey in the dance recital. Funny thing, I was removed from the class from missing too much when I had an ant pass. But you are a Scorpio, Kelly. Wasn't seeing the Wizard of Oz a requirement for being a boomer? Do you remember the first time you saw the Wizard of Oz? I do. It freaked me out. I have to say, seeing the Wizard of Oz fucking freaked me out as a kid. And I've never started Dark Side of the Moon and watched the movie. I should probably do that at some point. Apparently, it just lines right up. It's one, I've never done it. Okay, why don't we jump into the show here? Because um, I got to take Rosie the vet today, and I've got about a half hour. So let's um, let's dispense with <clears throat> the um, always fine and fun pleasantries and drop down into the toiletries. That's not really true. A toiletry is a thing that you use in the toilet or in the bathroom. So let's uh, let's do this Katanji Brown Jackson thing. Let's play this. Oh, it's live. It's we should probably chime in on the live thing. We're in purple. She's got the purple revolution going on here. Wonder how far I have to scroll down. Before I find the uh, the definition of the woman video. Let's do that. Uh, Katie Brown Jackson. It's funny. She's got some of the, um, well, they, they reanimated DiFi. Holy shit. She's there. How about that? Okay. I want to get the right one. I guess who is it? Marsha Blackburn. Let's find this. This is funny. All right, here it is right here. This is the video. You guys have seen it. I'm going to play it again. And there's an interesting thing that she does here, which, of course, the um, identitarians will completely gloss over. Hold on a second. Do I have the, I think I get, okay. Here we go. This is her being quizzed on the abstract nature of human biology by Marsha Black. I think it's Marsha Blackburn, isn't it? Okay, here we go. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? 
Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The of the okay. So. Major error. She said, I'm not a biologist. Now, if you're in with the whole identitarian group, the identitarian cult, that statement coming from somebody else other than this woman would have you crucified. Because they would say biology does not determine sex. Biology does not determine gender. And she's essentially saying that biology determines gender. I'm not a biologist, so therefore I am not in a position to define what that is. Now, she's kind of similar to Kamala Harris in some ways. Both her and Kamala Harris were debating champions. It's hard to believe that Kamala Harris was a fucking debating champion. Like, who is she debating against? Ten-year-olds? So she was a high school debating champion. And she went to Harvard. Like I said, she was on the Harvard uh, Law Review. She was part of that esteemed publication where Barack Obama once presided over the entire publication of the law review without ever having to write one actual article for it. I'm not even sure she did. She was part of it. Maybe she's, I don't know. I'd have to look it up to see if she's got a, a, a background there with the, the law, review. but she fucked up. She, if you're an identitarian by her saying that I'm not a biologist, she's essentially Again, saying that biology determines sex and gender. Do you think anybody will talk about that? No. Okay, let me quickly get into her her husband. And I'm going to show you how connected her husband is and how this group that her husband is connected with has, for all intents and purposes, been on first base for the entirety of their bloodline descent and have been major players in all forms of American society, from the military-industrial complex to politics, the presidency, the Supreme Court, entertainment, literature. So let's do this. I have it open right here. I didn't need to go searching for it. 
the Boston Brahmin. So Patrick Jackson, her husband, is descended from the Boston Brahmin. So that should tell you automatically how this group views themselves. They, they view themselves as the elite class. That they are the blue bloods of American society. So let's just go through this quickly. The Boston Brahmins or Boston elite are members of Boston's traditional upper class. They're often associated with Harvard University, Anglican, Anglicanism, upper class clubs, such as the Somerset in Boston, the Knickerbocker in New York City, the Metropolitan in Washington, D.C., and the Pacific Union Club in San Francisco, and traditional Anglo-American customs and clothing. Descendants of the earliest English colonists are typically considered to be the most representative of the Boston Brahmins. They are considered white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. This is your wasp culture. The doctor and writer Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., now remember that name, it's an important name, coined the term Brahmin caste of New England in an 1860 story in the Atlantic Monthly. The term Brahmin refers to the highest ranking caste of people in the traditional Hindu caste system in India. By extension, it was applied to the United States by the old wealthy New England families of British Protestant origin, which became influential in the development of institution, American institutions and culture. That's an understatement, by the way. The influence of the old gentry has been reduced in modern times, but some vestiges remain primarily in the institutions and the ideals that they championed in their heyday. They got replaced by another group, by the way. That would be called, that would be called the uh, Bar Mitzvah Brahmin. Or the Bat Mitzvah Brahmin, depending on your uh, gender orientation. The nature of the Brahmins is hinted at by the doggerel Boston Toast, doggerel Boston is by Holy Cross alumnus, John Collins, Boston Collins being an Illuminati name. There's a couple Illuminati names that show up in the lineage here, the peerage. And this is good old Boston, the home of the bean and the cod, where the Lowells talk only to Cabots and the Cabots talk only to God. So these are the top hatters. You can see here the traditional dress if you're listening. We're looking at a, um, a uh, pencil etching, charcoal pencil etching of a Boston Brahmin with that prototypical top hat that we associate with people who show up in pictures with cities that are barely populated and buildings that are suspiciously older than they actually are based on their architectural records. You'll always see the, the guys in the top hats. Uh, well, while some 19th century Brahmin families of large fortune were bourgeois origin, still fewer were of somewhat aristocratic origin. The new families were often the first to seek in typically Boston fashion, suitable marriage alliances with those old aristocratic New England families that were descended from landowners in England to elevate and cement their social standing. The Winthrop's, Dudley's, Stalton Stalls, Winslow's, and Lyman's, descended from English magistrates, gentry, and aristocracy, were by and large happy with this arrangement. All Boston's Brahmin elite therefore maintained the received culture of the old English gentry, including cultivating the personal excellence that they imagined, maintained the distinction between gentlemen, freemen, between ladies and women, 
They saw it as their duty to maintain what they defined as high standards of excellence, duty and restraint, cultivated, urbane and dignified. A Boston Brahmin was supposed to be the very essence of enlightened aristocracy. The ideal Brahmin was not only wealthy, but displayed what was considered suitable personal virtues and character traits. So <clears throat> I was texting back and forth with uh, Mr. Cruz. It was last week. And I, and I was trying to ponder this idea of language. It's a really interesting question, which I do not have an answer for. But when I ask the question, more questions come up. Okay, so we assume that these people, the Brahmins, right, are from England. That's what they're saying here. They're from England. And you can maybe hear a bit of an English accent if you travel up the New England coast and get into places like Vermont, Maine. They've got a an interesting way of speaking. If you go into Massachusetts, you might hear some of the uh, the peerage tongue to a certain extent, but you won't hear it amongst the non-Brahmin in Boston. What you'll hear is an accent that is fairly close, but a little bit different from how people speak in Philadelphia, Newark, and New York you will definitely hear this East Coast um, inflection in their voice. Okay. So let's assume for a moment that the same people that settled in the New England area also settled in the South. Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida to a certain extent. Although I think it was probably hard to live in Florida. You don't really read a lot about Florida when it comes to the uh, Revolutionary War or the colonies or even the Civil War. It's like Florida just must have been a hellhole of swampland. You'll read more about the other places that I talked about. So what's interesting is that based on the fact that these people were from theoretically the same place, why don't they sound the same? Why don't they sound the same? Why do Southerners have a distinctly different accent than New Englanders or Bostonians or New Yorkers if they come from the same lineage? Theoretically, if they come from the same country. Why do they sound different? And when you look at New Zealand and you look at Australia, Isolated countries, by the way, but still nonetheless, a fair degree of cross-pollination, particularly Australia. They still sound English. So why don't East Coasters sound more English? Well, you could say, well, you know, they had all these other people come through and it affected how, I don't know. I, so the questions pop up. They really pop up. Did they really come from England? And I know this says they come from, came from England, and maybe they did. Okay. We'll just kind of go with this. But I have this question about these accents and how they stayed, for all intents and purposes, indigenous, and they sound nothing alike. 
and yet they're supposed to come from the same place. Think about that for a moment. All right, let's keep going. Let's look at the families here. You got the Adams family, Sam Adams, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, lots of Adams, Charles Francis Adams, uh, U.S. Secretary of the Navy, Charles Francis Adams, lived to night. Could you imagine being born in 1866 and living to 1954? That's how long Charles Adams was around. Charles Francis Adams, 1866 to 1954. You're starting off in kind of this post-Tartarian world. And by 1954, there's televisions. There's jet planes starting to emerge in 1954. Transistor radios. Like that has got to be one of the biggest time warp lives. This guy's born in the 19th century, deep 19th century. And by the time you hit 1954, the 20th century is really up and running. Charles Francis Adams IV is an industrialist and the first president of Raytheon, Raytheon be, being a big military industrial complex company. Uh, Ivor is Whitney Adams, founder of the oldest continuously playing professional baseball team, the Boston Red Stockings. Always fucking hated the Red Sox, by the way. There was never a time that I that I liked the Red Sox. There was a time when I was I I had a marginal interest in the Yankees because my mother was a Yankee fan. She grew up watching Whitey Ford, Mickey Mantle. I used to have an old tattered program from the Yankees. I think it was like a 1952 game or something like that that my mother had gone to. She brought it back, had all moose scour and had all the pictures in there. But once they started raiding the A's, I, I started to not like the Yankees very much. But I never liked the Red Sox. In fact, I've never really liked Boston teams in general. Never, well, I kind of liked the Patriots for a minute when Jim Plunkett was there. And after that, forget it. And when Belichick got there, no. All right, we got the Amory family. You remember Cleveland Amory? He was the guy that wrote uh, uh, columns in the... Uh, TV Guide. Well, he wrote a lot of other books, too. John Amory Lowell. You're going to see the Lowell show up. The Coffins. You'll see the Coffins. So all these families, they intermarry. The Appleton family, big family here. Uh, Samuel Appleton, uh, military government leader, Massachusetts Bay Colony, province of Massachusetts Bay. Right. These are all big-time people. William Appleton, U.S. congressman. Uh, let's see. You've got Edward Augustus Holyoke, educator physician, I guess Holyoke College, named after that family. The Packard family comes out of there. Alpheus Spring Packard, William Alfred Packard. Ever hear of Hewlett Packard? You have the Bacon family. Robert Bacon, U.S. Secretary of State. The Bates family. Joshua Bates, financier, Barron's bank partner, managed by managed many Brahmin family fortunes, advised Adams family on court protocol. Benjamin Bates the fourth, philanthropist, namesake, benefactor, Bates College. We have the Boylston family. 
the Bradley family. So Ben Bradley, who's a major uh, publisher, or, um, editor, right? He comes out of that family. Joseph Putnam, I think Putnam is a, a publisher, publishing house. Uh, Thomas Bradley, Boston Tea Party participant, member of Massachusetts Charitable Mechanics Association, member of the St. Andrew's Lodge of Freemasons. Of course, you're going to have a big Freemason contingency. David Bradley, Boston Tea Party participant, captain of the Continental Army, member of the St. Andrew's Lodge of Freemasons. Sarah Bradley, mother of Boston Tea Party. The Brindley family. The Brindleys intermarry with a bunch of other families. David Putnam Brindley. You can see how they're just incestuous, these families. They come together here. Um, Edward Brindley, importer for Edward Brindley Company, Old Faneuil Hall, Boston. Who else do we have here? You got the Coddingtons, colonial governor of Rhode Island, William Coddington, coming out of the Brindley line. Look at all those Brindleys. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, part of this brood, he comes out of the Brindley line and the Delano line, who are Boston Brahmins. You see Crown Shield Bradley. Uh, this is the guy who was the editor of the Washington Post, Benjamin Crown Shield Bradley. You'll see the Crown Shields. The Cabot family, boy, they're big. They're so big, they have a whole section devoted to them. A whole, whole Wikipedia page, not just here. Chaffee, another name that you'll recognize, John Chaffee, U.S. Senator coming out of that line. The Choates. The Coffin family, Thomas Jonathan Coffin Amory, Civil War General. John Coffin Jones, Jr., U.S. Minister to Hawaii. I mean, these people are just linked up. Uh, William Coffin, merchant co-founder of the Trinity Church. Charles A. Coffin, industrialist and co-founder of General Electric. So we have the co-founders and the originators of Raytheon and General Electric coming out of the Boston Brahmin Group. You have the Coolidges, of course, Calvin Coolidge, president, the Coopers. Here are the Crown Shields. Benjamin Cranshaw Bradley, born 1948, editor for the Boston Globe. So the Bradleys are, are intertwined in publishing in the newspaper game. The Cushings, uh, John Pershing, Perkins Cushing, China trade merchant investor. William Cushing, U.S. Supreme Court Justice. Remember that. It's going to come up again. The Dana family, the Delano family, there's... Franklin Delano Roosevelt, born 1882. Franklin A. Delano, civic reformer and railroad president. The Dudley family, the Dwight family, the Elliott family. We get T.S. Elliott out of the Elliott family. Also Samuel Elliott, uh, president of the American Unitarian Association. Charles Elliott Norton, Norton. The Emerson family comes out of this group, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the Endicott family. You can see where the Crown Shields are married in with the Endicotts there, William Crown Shield, Endicott. So incestuous. The Everett family, there's a big family line there. Huge family line with the Everett's. Wow. 
the Everett's and the Hales come together in terms of that family, that family line. Uh, the Fabens, George Wilson Fabens, 1857-1939, attorney, land commissioner, and superintendent of Southern Pacific Railroad, namesake of Fabens, Texas. How about that? Yes, the Forbes family comes out of this, this group. Uh-huh. Do you see all these connections here? I mean, these people are born on first base. The Hallowell family. Okay, so this is where it gets interesting. The Holmes family. Abel, ABL Holmes, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. and Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., who is a U.S. Supreme Court Justice. Now, right below them is the Jackson family. Edward Jackson, Jonathan Jackson. This is who Patrick Jackson, Katanji Brown's husband, is descended from. And if we go down that family line enough, we will run into him. Patrick Tracy Jackson. Right? Oh, it's interesting. I think his name was in here before. Now, now he's not in. Is that? That's weird. Anyway, look who he's related to. He's related to Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., who is considered to be one of the most uh, prominent um, Supreme Court justices. So Katanji Brown Jackson has married into the peerage of Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., whose father coined the term Boston Brahmin. This thing goes on and on and on. The Lodge family, Cabot Lodge, the, the, the joining of the Cabot family and the Lodge family, uh, big time, big, big, big time Illuminati players. Henry Cabot Lodge Jr., U.S. Senator, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. George Cabot Lodge, Harvard Business School professor, U.S. Senate candidate for Massachusetts against Edward M. Kennedy. John Davis Lodge, 79th governor of uh, Connecticut, U.S. ambassador. You have the Lowell family. Crazy Robert Lowell, the American poet, is in this family, whose poetry I like a lot, actually. Look at all these people. The Lyman family, the Minot family. Then you have the Sedgwicks. And, of course, um, Kyra Sedgwick comes from that family, who happens to be Kevin Bacon's wife. Kevin Bacon, not apparently related to the Bacon family, in this area, the Palfrey family, they're all connected to the Kennedys. The Kennedys are not in here. The Peabody family, the Perkins family, Maxwell Perkins, literary editor of Ernest Hemingway. This goes on and on and on and on and on. You can spend a lot of time with this. The Sears family, Sears and Roebuck. Here's the Sedgwick family. Apparently, Mike Stern, the jazz guitarist, is her half-brother. I did not know that. Or first cousin. First cousin. The Thayer family. You'll also see the Bundys. The Bundy name will pop up in here. The Tudor family, the Warren family, the Weld family, the actress Tuesday Weld comes out of this, uh, this Brahmin cast. The Whitney family, that means Eli Whitney, Mr. Cotton, Gin guy, the Wigglesworth family, the Winthrop family. So there you go. 
the Boston Brahmins and Katanji Brown Jackson being related, not by blood, I'd say by other bodily fluids, to Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. Interesting, huh? Okay, let's get into, uh, I don't have much time left today. Let's get into some of this John Stockton stuff, which is great. Props to John Stockton. Aries. You got to love it. Hold on a second. I could stop anywhere in this. I like this. This is great. All right. Um, I love how Jason has these things. Um, like I could just go through this, the rise of Gonzaga. Okay. Right there. I love how he does this. He could, he could actually go to certain segments inside of here. I'd like to learn how to do that. Okay, here we go. Transition a little bit. You love Gonzaga. Uh, at some point this year, your season tickets were suspended over the COVID vaccine and, and not cooperating with or, or going along and getting along. Again, I, just to be clear, I pass no judgment on you. I don't believe we should be forcing these vaccines or any of this on anybody. But uh, what is the status of your relationship with Gonzaga right now? Well, I think you can look at Gonzaga as an institution, and then you can look at Gonzaga, the, all the people that I work with and know uh, on a daily basis, and that relationship hasn't changed. The, the personal relationship hasn't changed. Um, they felt that I was a public figure, at least the higher-ups. You know, I, I I, again, it didn't come from the guys I work with every day uh, or, or often. Um, somewhere up there, I, I, I was too visible to not wear a mask. And it, it put put them on the spot they felt and and they couldn't have it. And, and I said, look, I can't wear a mask. Uh, I'm opposed to you making these kids wear a mask. I'm opposed to you making these kids across me. I stare at the whole student body every game. And for them to have any, any vaccine mandate, but especially the COVID so-called vaccine, to have that mandated and have them have to wear masks and to stare across the, the court at them every day, I, I felt like I had a duty to to, to not um, you know, somebody's got to stand up for these kids. And, um, so anyway, I, I held my ground, they held theirs and, and we, we agreed to part ways for the time being and, and, uh, all friendly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intended to be a Zag fan and a, a supporter of the games when these things clear, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how you can, how a person like me could stand there and, and just join the party. And so listening to your answer, it's, it doesn't sound it's as much about you wearing the mask as standing on the principle, why are you doing this to these young people? You were trying to make a point. It wasn't just about your own personal comfort. It was about forcing this on young people. Well, it's both. Um, I, mean, I put on the mask. I, I can't breathe in those things. I, I think they're, I think they're unhealthy for us. Uh, Almost, almost without exception, I think Anthony Fauci wrote a letter to that effect in 2007 that said, 
uh, it was probably the cause of the Spanish flu was undiagnosed pneumonia caused by mask wearing. And so, I mean, there, there's plenty of proof out there that these aren't healthy for you. There's plenty of proof out there that, that they don't stop the virus. It's, it, the particles of a virus are too small. They, they don't impact it one way or the other. And yet here we are, and we're breathing whatever is attached to them. If there's disinfectants or anti-flame uh, retardants, um, the, 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 whatever it takes to manufacture them in the first place, you're inhaling them closely. You can't take a deep breath, which if you've ever heard a rib, that's one of the things the doctors say is take, you know, big, deep breaths so you don't get pneumonia. And yet here we are all breathing shallowly. We're all trying to take in deep breaths through, through a mask. It, it's unhealthy. And so it's both personal. And when it came down to that decision, they said, well, look, just put the mask on. It's, it's an easy way to, to make this work. And I'm saying, no, we can't give in to the masks. We shouldn't be giving in to the testing. The testing uh, is absurd as well. It's, it doesn't even test for COVID. Uh, they're inaccurate. More than more than half of them are inaccurate uh, uh, results anyway. So so we can't give into it just to avoid the big devil, which is the vaccine. And um, you know, again, you have to make you have to make little stands. And for me, it was it was season tickets. Pretty small, frankly, Jason. Uh, that's a small deal. There's people that that lost their their livelihoods. In, in my hometown, lost their livelihoods, their businesses, their savings, all because somebody can stand over them and say, you have to do this. And, and to me, this is America, and, and we can't tolerate that. So, you know, it's my little stand, and you're giving me an opportunity to speak it more loudly, but it's, it's just a very small stand in my own little community. John, I think a lot of people looking at you 